previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. There's one, there's one guy that calls the rival company the third organization, but I right. don't know whether it's true or not. That's a good idea, Capcom. Let's introduce more organizations. Well, no, I've got a five-year-old who's brilliant, but the, there's an eight-month-old that's just a real pain in the ass. You have these films, and if anyone's aware of them, made by Paul Anderson, which, which just throw in, you know, liquors, executioners. And there is a picture in a file that the real Ada is, is reading that seems to show her being birthed out of one of these chrysalis eggs. And some sections that are placed in a, in a different order. What the fuck? <laughs> Welcome to episode 8 of this Olympic special Project Umbrella podcast, where when we're given the option, we always take the gold emblem, and punishment is handed out for anyone that doesn't combine the silver cog. I'm Nick, <laughs> better known as Neptune, and joining me today is George Trevor. Howdy. The Batman. Hello. Mr. Spencer. Alright. And Newsbot. Hello. And our very special guests for this evening, it's Syndra. Moderator of the Project Umbrella forums. With over 400 posts. Maintainer of law and order on the PU forums. Internet sensation and reviewer of retro video games. With her own YouTube channel generating over 58,000 views and 372 subscribers. From Buffalo, New York, it's Syndra. If hunting BOWs was an Olympic sport, not only would I encourage it, I would be participating and going for gold. Nice, nice, nice. And I, I do apologise for the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear your, your intros are getting worse and worse. <laughs> I always speculated after like the first one I ever did, by the time we get to the Christmas one, they're going to be so unfeasible and the links are going to be so tedious. It'll be shocking. Anyway, so this is, as I said, episode eight. And coming up on today's show, we're going to be uh, looking at all the latest news. In fact, uh, quite a lot of news has happened since our last podcast, which is the Biohazard 6 demo. I think there's some site news. Uh, I think we can have a quick discussion on that. And then our sub-discussion, providing uh, George has prepared his discussion on Mahara Desire. Well, no, no, I haven't, I'm afraid. <laughs> the small fact that I've got fucking brain damage. Yeah, I didn't do it. I was in hospital and then headaches and um, I'm back on it. And I'm going to be doing it on Monday. No sub-discussion this week, great. <laughs> so we're just going to crack on then with our main discussion, which will be uh, the Dark Side Chronicles. I know, Sindra, you've been looking forward to being on this podcast. You put your name down quite a long time ago to be on this one. 
Exclamation point, yes. Yeah. I like the way you said that, like you put your name down, you know, waiting list. Like we have an extensive waiting list. You know, that's how popular this podcast is. What is celebrities celebrities pay hundreds of thousands of pounds to get on this show on the show. And yet so, me as a staff member, I gotta wait till Dark Side Chronicles. <laughs> So here we go. we're going to look through uh, Dark Side Chronicles, look at all the background information, uh, all the Operation Javier and Raccoon City and Code Veronica revisions, and then finally we're going to end with Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. But further ado, let's crack on with the news. And first bit of news is that North America will be getting the Resident Evil 6 Collector's Edition release of the game on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. The bundle uh, includes Resident Evil 6, as you'd imagine, in a zombie steelbook, a needle bomb collector box, three limited edition Resident Evil 6 emblems, exclusive art book, and some DLC avatar themes, as well as a very nice looking Ivy University hooded sweatshirt. As I said, this was previously uh, only available for European collectors. I think it's uh, about £149 or dollars, something like that. Quite expensive, but now it looks like it's coming to North America. I think it's 130 I may be wrong, but I'm sure I saw it for about 12999 On Games' website, you can pre-order it through Game. So I imagine that Capcom are not familiar with the word recession. <laughs> Economic downturn. No, none of these words. The, yeah, there's lots of words Capcom aren't really familiar with. Um, survival horror could be one of them. Good games. Oh. Never, yeah. To be fair, though, it does look quite a cool collector box, and if if you're into that, it does look fairly swish. Swish. It did look. It does. That. What is that? Gay, isn't that like a gay slang? Isn't it or something that? I don't know. <laughs> it does sound like something gay people say. Mind you, you are a southerner, so you know. Yes, I am. Game my book. (laughs) Well, you suffered as a game my book. Anyone else want to comment on that at all? (laughs) (laughs) Not the game, but the actual. Not even touching it now. God damn it, John! Where's my backup there? Sorry, mate. I've only just clicked what you said. Okay, well, we'll move on. Sticking with Biohazard 6, Ada's scenario has been confirmed, and it actually looks very interesting. Alone scenario, so to speak, without the use of an annoying character. So, in terms of this being a scenario, is it? It's not the same length in terms of we've got the three Jake, Chris, and Leon. Is this alongside that in terms of duration, or, or is it more like a side mini game? Uh, I think it's the same length. We saw on the uh, the demo files, it's got the same amount of stages as the other three scenarios, anyway. Okay. And it's been uh, heralded with this crossover mechanic, which looks like a natural evolution of things like separate ways and even up. It's, it's it's also got that naked Spider Woman in it. Yes, I've seen that. I saw yes, I saw on the clip. She's in the kind of it looks like a mine or something, doesn't it? And then suddenly weird, she comes down and she she's naked, and then suddenly a spider sprouts out of her back. It's weird, isn't it? Though, that. She looks reminiscent of that Rachel character from RE5, a complete randomer in the middle of nowhere, and then suddenly becomes a... Does um, she have a fine ass? I couldn't tell from the angle. Well, you're, you're, you're an expert on that, aren't you? Hey, you know what? I, I just had to throw that out there at least at once at one point during this podcast. Just, well, you we, know. Were, we were going to avoid it, you know, but I guess if you're going to jump in... Can I just... well, I'm actually very disappointed that Nick didn't have the guts to put it in his intro. It is, yeah. it, it is in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I apologise. Sindra, can I apologise? It's just, as I said, I I was looking for uh, revelations had just come out, and the funny thing about it was obviously. uh, I like the fact you've barely been married a month. You've barely been married a month, but you're already. Apologising to another woman. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, lecherous dog. It said a comment from Quint. I thought, how, you know, that's quite a funny comment. How can I bring that into one of my introductions? 
Oh, I know. We've got Syndra, the staff member. So we've got the token female. Let's use her. <laughs> friggin' token. Yes. So sorry. As I said, I think Ada Snow looks brilliant. It looks mm. to be a bit more survival horror e than what we're used to because I think just being a lone player as opposed to being in a partnership helps big time in that. So it looks quite dark and dingy. She's crawling around, and it, I was quite impressed by it. I don't know about the mines, though. It looks like it could be like a very repetitive place. Lots of shitty puzzles that aren't particularly challenging, but more like, you know, an exercise in frustration. Well, that's how all those sort of mine areas seem to me in RE games, like RE4 and RE5 and all that stuff. I don't like the environment. Well, uh, on top of all of that, if you could want even more from Biohazard 6, there's going to be a final prelude chapter as well. What do you mean by that? Like a final prelude chapter as such. Like is that like a DLC or not that I know. It looks to be you unlock it when you complete all the scenarios. I could be So is this, is this a prelude to the next game? A prelude prelude to this game? What do we know anything? No. Wait, so you beat the game, when you beat the game you would lock the beginning. Could be so that's a new Capcom plan. You get the real beginning. <laughs> rather than the real ending, the best ending. You get the real beginning of the game. Someone posted a picture up on Project Umbrella on the on the forums. And that's what and it's just it's just unlocked at the end. Does it own anything? Leon is the character in that one. Right. I think it's just his very first you know the video of the China section? Beginning? Mm-hmm. I think it's that. <sighs> That's a bit of a oh, giant. Yes, because it was expecting something something more than that. I mean there's there's space in the timeline more for Leon, isn't there, in terms of it being pre-Resident Evil 6, because obviously we knew what Chris was doing running around in Resident Evil 5. So uh, in terms of the canon, I might like to think the last we heard of, you know, Leon's movement was Resident Evil 4. Degeneration, wasn't it? Degeneration, yeah. Mm. Well, that's like been like five or six years ago now, hasn't it, in, in the timeline? That was 2005, and when's uh, RE6 set? Is it 2014 or so? 13. Mm. 13, that's like a good seven years ago. I mean, I don't know if it was something to do with Leon and... I know it's Sherry, but I don't know. Well, uh, others, we've obviously got this Agent Hunt mode, not Hunk, Hunt mode, which has also been confirmed as a little bonus to go along with the mercenaries, uh, which you inevitably unlock when you complete the game. But this Agent Hunt mode looks to be you finally play as a BOW. Well, I say finally, that's a bit rude, isn't it? I mean, you can. I, I definitely don't think it's rude at all because we've all been waiting for something like this to show up in the past games for how long, and they're finally getting around to it. You'd think that they would actually have done it sooner, given that, you know, Left for Dead, those games, have done that sort of, you know, infected versus humans, you know, game idea, you know, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I said it slightly rude, because it has happened for an outbreak, you could play a tiny bit as a zombie. In Operation Raccoon City, sorry for saying that game, <laughs> I think you can, you can play as a zombie for a bit as well. And I thought it was blasphemy. Nick, Nick, can you not swear, please? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> There's the Nemesis as well, isn't there, in, in Nemesis mode. You can also play a bit of the Nemesis. But you, you are right, Syndra. It's, it's the first time I think we can properly you know, go on a mission, if you like, as opposed to just a little bit of a thought on the side. So uh, it could be quite exciting. I don't know what BOWs you get to play as. I'd imagine maybe that was just a tank thing. Or maybe, I don't, I don't know. So. But overall, though, let's be honest, this is looking to be a massive game. Yeah, I just kind of feel that I'm going to have to wipe off the next three months after this game comes out. <laughs> Let's honestly hope so, because if it's such a large game where it takes up that much time for you to complete, then that's, I mean, that's the type, best type of game to have, right? Where you're putting that much time and effort into it and you well, actually you, you, want to play. You've got to think about the phrase, quality over quantity, you know? It might be a huge game, but that doesn't mean anything if it's all shit. We discussed yeah. this on previous podcasts, didn't we? Sometimes we thought a good Resident Evil game doesn't need all the budget and the time. Uh, I think, Batman, you were saying perhaps if it just halved the budget 
and just made a kind of Lost in Nightmares style thing just to keep some of the fans happy. Mm-hmm. But there we go. Other news, um, it comes in the world of Biohazard Damnation. The film DVD length has been released on uh, some website. The, the entire DVD lasts 150 minutes. That's 43 minutes of special features and 107 minutes for the feature film. I'm not quite sure how that compares to Degeneration, but I'll have a quick look on the back of the box now. I'd say it'd be similar, an hour and a half, give or take. I know, uh, 96 minutes Degeneration lasted, so a, a tad longer. But that's exciting. I am looking forward to Damnation. Do we do any more about the story yet? Yeah, isn't there been more of a reveal on who that mystery figure is that Leon sees on the mound? His name is Buddy, and he's a member of the uh, Resistance who are using the BOWs against the government forces. Uh, throwaway character then. No one cares about. And there was something, one of our new members on Project Umbrella posted a link to a, I think a French or Spanish website about the comparisons between Ark and this new guy. No, the, yeah, the new character in Ark Thompson. I, I, I did translate it. There's still the hope. There's still the hope that it's Ark Thompson. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Is there anybody left at Capcom who even know who Ark Thompson is? <laughs> no. Ingrid Hunnigan's back again. She's got to be the most minor character that's had more reoccurring uh, roles she's, than any other. She's the Miss Moneypenny of the series. Yeah, there you go. The Biohazard 6 Japanese box art has been revealed as well, which looks much better than... Uh, it's not just one big six like we're going to get in Europe. No, I mean, they've got the six, which is obviously the manatee sucking off the giraffe. You know, Yeah, you know what the Ori 6 logo reminds me of? You know how, how I think Capcom came up with the logo for Ori 6? They must have looked at the London 2012 logo and thought, hey, let's do it like that. <laughs> That's a, that's a nice it link. looks like someone sucking off a giraffe or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wearing a London 2012 t-shirt. That was quite controversial, the uh, London 2012 logo, because... Um, it's shit! Well, a few, a few Arab nations felt that it was some sort of Zionist propaganda, because you can spell the word Zion, apparently, out of it. <laughs> it just looks like someone with a large head sucking off a guy wearing a London 2012 t-shirt. And just think, imagine you've been an Olympic gold medalist, right? Where, you know, you, you've worked your fucking guts out and you've won a gold medal. It's a triumph of your life and you get your medal and there's a fucking... you got that emblazoned on it. You know, someone being sucked off. You're going to look at that and go, that looks like someone being sucked off there. <laughs> on, on, on my gold medal. Uh, to be honest, I've never noticed it. You have to point that out. You never noticed it. On the Biohazard 6 symbol logo, yes. Not on the, not on the London Olympics. I think what? that needs to be put in the podcast notes. <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> here we go, right. I've got a picture of it. I'll right load here. up as well. Now, here we go. There's Look at that, right? Yes. Looks like someone, you know, sucking off someone wearing a London t-shirt. See, there's like... She's sort of like, you know, squatting down. There's <laughs> her hand. <laughs> Like a hand around the shaft. Wow. <laughs> Look at this. Wow. And that's, a, that's on our fucking medals. You've just ruined the Olympics. You've just ruined the Olympics in one go. No, no, I didn't ruin the Olympics. The dickhead they hired to, you know, guess how much that cost as well. £20,000, that logo. To draw that shit. My interest in the Olympics has peaked. Just <laughs> that pornographic image. Because other than that, I've got very little interest in it. Yeah, I'm sure it has peaked. I think we're out of Biohazard news, but I do know that the new Silent Hill movie trailer got released in the last week or so. 
It did, yes. And that looks <laughs> it looks what, Nick? Awesome. Oh Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I am I my own on this one? You're not completely alone. I will say that parts of it look very good. Parts of it look very spot on to the uh, Silent Hill three motif that they're going for, particularly that uh the carousel. Yes. That definitely brought me back to Silent Hill three. But the fact that uh, is this the second I... Silent Hill film? No, this is the second live-action Silent Hill film, yeah. yes. And they're just like the first one they were basing around Silent Hill 1, The this next one they're basing more around Silent Hill 3, which begs the question, why is Pyramid Head back in it and not Valtiel? What the hell? Oh, I'm not that in-depth in Silent Hill. Well, the question would be why Pyramid Head shouldn't have been in it in the first place, then, should he? Because he's obviously Silent Hill 2's kind of manifestation. Well, what ended up happening, they kind of, they half-explained it in the first Silent Hill movie, and... That movie, while it was based around Silent Hill 1, they, the monsters, if you noticed, all of the monsters were from Silent Hill 2. And Pyramid Head, they kind of used as Alessa's enforcer, which, okay, that is... Well, that doesn't make sense. Like, if I could just interrupt, I mean, isn't Pyramid Head supposed to be like a representation of James Sunderland's sexual oppression mm. towards his wife? Yet why are they using him now as like a figurehead for the series? because they've been using him as a figurehead for the series <laughs> because they can because he's a favorite he's a favorite of the a favorite monster of the series and has been since 2 and it's money in the bank it's bullshit though you don't isn't it you know it's oh it's complete bullshit of course it is but what are you going to do about that it's like you know Wesker was the figurehead of silent or excuse me of Resident Evil for how long and it took them how long to kill him off He's still here. And he's still here, technically. Mm. I like the fact that Sean Bean signed up for the second one. It really won't last long, will he? Yeah, he won't, unfortunately. Well, if you look at the trailer, everyone said, oh, look, he gets captured, you know, just like, he gets killed as Harry Mason. He but won't die. He's not, because the... you see him later being caught and stuff, so he may die later. I think he'll, he'll just probably take the role as Sybil did in the first film. This is the first film where Sean Bean survives. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, he survived the first film. The first Silent Hill. Yes, he did. Oh, he did. I'm just excited that they have Malcolm McDowell as... Uh... Yes, Malcolm McDowell is awesome. Yeah, that they, they have him in there. And Trinity from Matrix is in it, isn't she? Or Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. We kind of talked about, you know, great British actors here. Like, you know, Malcolm McDowell from, you know, Clockwork Orange and If. Not Carrie Ann Moss, the woman from The Matrix. She hardly qualifies to his, you know, his calibre. We digress, but it's perhaps it's uh, a slower news day than I anticipated. Have we got any site news at all? Newsbot? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel slightly responsible because we would have had something on Mahoa Desire, but that's coming. And that's fine. We can uh, spend more time then discussing Dark Side Chronicles. Guy. 
find that guide before it's too late. I hope everyone's played it. Remind yourself what a great game Dark Side Chronicles is in some respects. So, um, what I want to do, I'm going to go through each podcast to see what they all thought. So, George Trevor, what did you think? Briefly. <laughs> Briefly! Briefly! Right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> is this the inside joke? <coughs> it goes on forever, Sin. Oh, God. So I say briefly. It'd be like a 10-minute discussion. Wait, wait, wait. I once talked a little bit more about, I don't know what game it was, but I seem to have this very unfair reputation for waffling i do that shall i go go okay go well it's not my favorite of the two chronicles games that's quite an unpopular opinion i think the majority of people kind of felt that it was an improvement on umbrella chronicles i really liked it it's very dark you know you've got young girls dying at the end of you know their story you've got what i think is a brilliant ending a proper ending to resident evil 2 with leon and you know sherry breaking down in claire's arms yeah, absolutely brilliant. I think it, and I think it's a testament to Capcom. They can pull this out of the bag that what could have been quite a dull, repetitive game on rails, you know, mainly combat. Uh, it is very interesting. They fixed the camera from Umbrella Chronicles. I think that was brilliant. That was well done. And I think the Operation Javier was is a brilliant new addition to the story with you know strong characters, an interesting story. You know, cancer-stricken girl. It's in the title, and they did it. It's a very, very dark game. I really enjoyed it. Batman. Uh, yeah, I thought it was okay. Uh, graphics were really good for the Wii. Uh, obviously, a lot sharper on the new HD version for the PS3. Uh, yes, yes. The shooting mechanics seemed to be uh, vastly improved since Umbrella Chronicles, and the enemies reacted a lot more to gunshots, which made it a more satisfying shooting experience. I also found it easier to get headshots on this game compared to Umbrella Chronicles. 
The new camera system was okay. I could see why it would put many people off, but I don't really suffer from motion sickness, so it didn't affect me too badly. Story-wise, it was okay. Added some useful elements to the overall uh, mythology, and it was nice to see a semi-sequel to Code Veronica with the T-Veronica virus coming back. Some good new enemies. Uh, I liked the remixed music tracks from the classic games. Overall, I'd say it was a better game than Umbrella Chronicles, but I think Umbrella Chronicles had better content in terms of scenarios and bonus games and whatnot. Newsbot, would you agree with that? Yeah, pretty much every word. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was brief, wasn't it? third fourth, I could just say that, that would be it. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have a lot to say, but that's pretty much my feelings on it. So. Uh, Syndra? Uh, pretty much everything that was already touched upon, yeah. Um... I was one of the few people that actually really liked Umbrella Chronicles, and I know I'm in the in the minority when it comes to that. I liked it too. I liked it too. Oh, fantastic! I'm not the complete. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people enjoyed it for what it was. Do I think Dark Side Chronicles is vastly superior? No. Um, I think it improved on some things, and all in all, it was just the part two to Umbrella Chronicles that we were all hoping for because when Umbrella Chronicles came out and it just did the scenarios from one from three and then the um, prequel as it were to five I think everybody was uh, you know it was just going to be in the motions for two and then Code Veronica and whatever else to come out and I was really happy to see that they built upon the past relationship between Leon and Krauser Uh, I was really happy to see that you know because Krauser was one of my favorite characters from RE4 and I was really, always really kind of interested in seeing where the hell did this relationship between he and Leon pop up from. And here we go. We got that going. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the, the new story uh, additions to it while also, you know, being relatively faithful to the scenarios from Two and from Code Veronica. Although I will say I replayed it as early as last night and I did make a very prominent note of the fact that they seemed to increase Claire's badass factor several times over yeah. uh, from her portrayal in Resident Evil 2, which was that of a a normal college girl, you know, who just got flung into a situation where she has no idea what the hell just happened. She has some training from her brother, but that kind of was more emphasized in later games than it was prior to that game. And she was just in over her head, and she managed to survive it very well. Whereas with the Dark Side Chronicles, basically they established her as a badass right from the get-go. Like she was flinging knives at zombies within the first minute of her introduction. She was just, you know, they were trying to do hard almost to make her the the badass action girl. And it's like, you know what? That really was not necessary in my mind because the fact that in Resident Evil 2, the fact that she was just a normal college girl who managed to survive this impossible situation that alone made her badass in my eyes Uh, and this is obviously coming from very female perspective and uh to just kind of see them to see Capcom make her that from the get-go it's just like oh great it's the it's it's a wrong perspective but carry on (laughs) thank you for pointing that out to me before I finished but okay um (laughs) I just thought that they were they were going too far Along the lines of, oh, hey, we need another badass female character a la the Resident Evil live action movie. So let's just make her, you know, that way from the start and go from there. But, you know, Mr. Spencer, please elaborate on what I was saying. I'd love to hear it. You said you have like a woman's perspective, which is is incorrect. 
It's strong. What? Women are allowed to have perspectives. Digging hole. Because women don't play games. <laughs> oh, digging oh. hole. You should go, John. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get back to work. Make make one joke about child pornography and then that's it. You're out. That's my job done. You know, that's my role in this is to just try and piss off and alienate as many. I and mean, I don't care about the community. I hate the community. I've made this very clear in the previous podcast that I don't give a shit about the site. Not, well, not, I do care about the site, but I mean, like the community and the series. Like, have you noticed I've not even been on the Horrors Alive or Project Umbrella for ages now? Because I don't care about. I mean, it's one of the worst communities I've ever been to, the Ori community. You yeah, know, it's just. It. It's just so much hate, you know, from people. You go into the Harvest Alive, there's so much anger and sick of it. So it's like, fuck it, you know. <laughs> oh, this is nothing. My first uh, my first encounter with Mr. Spencer was uh, basically him uh, berating me because I happened to mention the words Wesker and fangirl in the same sentence. And uh, that just, he just decided to go uh, and paint a bullseye on, uh, on my back. and uh, Don't take it personally. Oh, I didn't. I basically told him to go fuck off, and uh, we've been fe- we've been uh, we've been friends ever since. <laughs> well, I I admired her resolve. I said, "Hey, you should become a moderator." I like this woman. She should become a moderator. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, I I like women who are as intelligent as or slightly less intelligent than me. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the backtracking. At, I, I like the backpedaling there. You know, right? Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Not backpedaling, the damage was, control. John, John, what's your views on the game? If you've even even played it, <laughs> would it be bad if I said, "Oh, what everyone else said before me"? No, that's fine because then we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Um, okay, I'll try not to be so long-winded. Um, basically, I think it was a good sort of recapping of events that we didn't see being recapped in Umbrella Chronicles, namely RE2. I don't like the fact that, well, it kind of condensed the games down into like a sort of easier to swallow format for new players to the series. You know, new players that, you know, might have started with RE4 and may not have played, you know, RE2 in the earlier games. So this is a very good sort of entry point for them. Uh, makes it very accessible as a game, I think, new players to the series. So I think Capcom succeeded in that in that regard. Uh, like with Umbrella Chronicles, both games are very good entry points for newcomers to the series, and I think that was their goal when they succeeded at it. That's all I've got to say, really. Okay. That's something quite good, actually. That's very good. That's very good. Yeah, it's so, all right. Can I ask, because I've not played it on the on the PlayStation 3, what's that like? Has anyone downloaded it? And you touched up on jobs. Well, I, was, I was thinking of buying it, actually, just now, but I don't know how much it is. Uh, well, it's just the graphics are just a little bit sharper, that's all. Hmm. There's no major difference, but it's obviously when you go back and play the Wii version, it's quite a bit more grainy. Mm. Have you got the move, John? I've got the move, yeah. I was going to get it, but a lot of people have said it's practically impossible to use it because every time you jerk it to reload or whatever, it, it knocks it out of oh, sync. Oh, yes, yeah, I remember, I, remember, yeah, I remember talking about that. But I've, I've just been using the pad and it was it was all right for me, to be honest. Because I, I replayed it this afternoon like, briefly on the Wii. I didn't have any problems with recalibration, but I know that the move uses the camera as well, doesn't it? Well, it should be all right, because I, I got the move, and I played uh, Dead Space Extraction with the move, and that works, so I assume it's the same. There's that video that was released that showed how it worked, but I, I think Batman's right. I think that there has been a lot of calibration issues with it. Right, uh, okay, um, I would like to start on the story and the background to the game and how it integrates 
generally into the main storyline. So I think Sindra touched upon the Krauser backstory, which one of the many failings, if you like, of RE4 was nothing was explained. Uh, many aspects, including the background to Krauser and Leon. So I was just going to say, I quite enjoyed that. It was intriguing in RE4, the way, obviously, that Leon reacts to Krauser. You immediately know that he's, he's met him before. We haven't seen him in the series. I, I just think I like the fact that it left it open that you knew and hoped at some point in a, a future instalment you'd find out more about Krauser. Right. But was this a satisfactory outcome to those burning questions? Yeah, I think so. To the point, I mean, it didn't over-elaborate to, you know, to the point where a lot of these over-complicated facts were thrown in there and whatnot. It was just very simple. And the only thing that's left unexplained is, you know, what happened to Krauser between Dark Side Chronicles and 4. And it gives enough elaboration that, you know, you're able to allow your, your own theories to kind of pop up. And that leaves enough open-endedness to kind of play with that, you know, you don't need absolutely everything to find. Krauser mentions in the forest in South America, he saw the truth or something, or the virus or something, and then mm-hmm. and then moved away into Wesker's organisation. But my question is probably to, to a newsbot, who probably know better than anyone. I remember when Ada's report came about, everyone went on and on about his left arm, Krauser's left arm, and whether or not it was infected or before plague us with something else. And that was, was that adequately dealt with in Dark Side Chronicles with the injury? Or is that, are they completely unrelated? Unrelated. Are they? Okay. The left arm bit in Ada's report is uh, made up, doesn't exist in the Japanese version. That caused so much debate. Yeah, that came out. That was ridiculous. Anyway, okay, fine, scrap that one. I think it was just a bit of a red herring, wasn't it? Because before we began translating all the Biohazard for supplemental material, it was never really made entirely clear what was wrong with his arm in, in cancer or something wasn't it and obviously the videos of dark side came out everyone just assumed it was going to be explained in game mm. but then obviously it turned out he was infected with a control plaguer all along so it was less plagues yeah but that's never really revealed in the game is it it's only when we started translating all the stuff that well it's unusual isn't it that Krause would have a control plagues given you know Sadler's distrust of Americans I mean he never trusted Krause well that's what everyone thought and that's why everyone sort of dismissed at first that he had a control plaga considering his whole mission was to get one in the first place well and then in the games he gets hurt he gets impaled by that spike from the Hilda monster and I mean, it's been made clear in past games that any kind of bodily fluids or bodily interaction between T-virus infected creatures and, you know, non-infectees usually results in infection. And uh, it's, it, I mean, they could have very well explained that as, hey, yeah, he got infected. It was only in the arm, so on and so forth. There you go. But that was never elaborated on, which, yeah, is probably one of the few downsides. Yeah, they could have gone down the route, I suppose. So, I mean, if we look at the storyline as a whole, we had the kind of Operation Javier, as Javier Hildago wishing to save his daughter who was dying of some form of terminal cancer. And he, I, I think I'm right, he'd come across the T. Veronica virus and then he'd liaising with Wesker, which involves the regular transplanting of organs into Manuela. You see, I wish that they had uh, clarified a little bit more, like human trafficking and that sort of thing, because I thought that was quite interesting, an interesting mm. angle for the series. I mean, I haven't seen that sort of thing before, you know, because that's quite a real-life issue, you know, mm-hmm. human trafficking, organ trafficking, that sort of thing. So I thought that yeah. was quite cool. Yeah, I agree with you, um, because when you, you're first brought into the game, you see all these missing posters with the girls, and that's immediately what I thought. I'm like, oh, well, okay, so we have... 
They have spotlights on the drug war, and then they have spotlights on human trafficking. Like, oh, this could be really interesting. You know, they're doing human trafficking for experimentation work. And then they kind of went that direction, but never, again, never touched upon, like, the true, uh, what that could have become. So that was, again, another missed opportunity, I thought. Mm. What what I certainly liked about the game, that episode, is... You know, you, you've got it on a disc with Resident Evil 2 and Code Veronica Correct, and it really could have failed. But I think with those two, you know, very strong established titles, the story of Operation Javelin really stands up. There's some really dark issues in it. I think it's a fantastic story. And also the surprise reappearance of the Code Veronica Correct virus, you know, the Veronica virus, which I, I wasn't expecting to ever hear about again, that prominence in, in the game. I don't know if anyone else was. I was particularly surprised, but very pleasantly surprised to have Code Veronica again. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it was the sample he extracted from Steve's body was the, the one he sold to Javier Hidalgo as well, which was a nice touch. Because a connection, you know, still there. And the Jabberwock S3, which is clearly based on Steve as well. Or am I going to be corrected? Well, it was the first BOW created using the Veronica mm. virus as a base. And it looked like, it did look like Steve. You know, it had the same kind of build, if you like, as the... Um... I always chalk that up to lazy programming. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're probably right. Let's use the Steve model and just put something else's head on top of it. Oh, yeah, that's going to work out well. That moves us nicely onto the characters. And obviously, because we've got two on Code Veronica, you have the, it's the kind of Leon-Claire connection throughout the games. And um, I, I, I liked how in Operation Javier you have Leon talking about all his past experiences. And it, you kind of did it that way. When you first play through it, you, you could only do that episode and then there's a kind of flashback to like the destruction of Raccoon City and things like that. I thought that was quite a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like a almost like a TV episode I suppose, wasn't it? it was like, oh I remember the time when this was really bad. It all started some years ago. I thought it was quite nice. It made Operation Javier feel a lot longer than it perhaps it was. Uh, yeah, it definitely drew it out because you were playing bits and pieces, chapters of Operation Javier as you were between the uh Resident Evil 2 and Code Veronica scenarios, which, yeah, it definitely made for a longer game, or at least a longer feeling game. But what did everyone think of Javier? Oh, Javier, obviously. Javier Dargo. Um, because I think we've touched on his build-up map as a sympathetic villain, because he's doing everything he wants to do to make sure he saves his daughter. I do think he's a bit too cliched still. Well, he was, I mean, yeah, it, I guess you could call it cliched. Um, he was still a monster. I mean, he was still, he. the only two people he gave any kind of a damn about were his wife and his after that, his daughter. But he was still very obviously a, a drug lord, a South American, you know, bastard, just because he had no regard for any human life other than that. You know, he let all of his all of his workers, all of his, you know, the sacred snakes pretty much be infected without any kind of regard for them. Um, the people of Amparo and the surrounding areas, you know, he kidnapped the daughters uh, just to save his own. And... Uh, and then, you know, he allows him, eventually allows himself to go and become infected with the Veronica plant. And That seems the, so stupid. Well, what was the point of it, really? I, I don't mean, know. I still don't understand why he did it. You know, the only thing I could basically chalk it up to was he really did feel like he lost everything because his daughter is now allied herself with the enemy. So basically he feels like he's lost her, too. So what the hell is the... the the point of going on, he might as well let the, the V-complex or the V-plants take over and just destroy everything. And that's part of, like, it's the, the mental breakdown that you see in so many other villains, which is, again, kind of cliched. It's like you'd like to just see one villain not completely, oh, you know, all hope is lost. I'm going to go and get myself infected because that seems like that's a good idea because that's not totally going to go to shit either. But, you know, 
lest uh, they needed something to kind of wrap the game up on. So, and they needed some big, huge monster to be able to fight at the end. So, why the hell not? He suffers from the usual Salazar complex of going, what happens if he had won? Mm. Right. Going around like, like a skull velociraptor going around. It's like, wow, we say, you know, like I said, with Salazar, it's like, oh, wow, we actually killed Leon, he's dead. So, <laughs> now what? what do we do now? I don't know. Guess we'll just sit here for a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a design here. Yeah, so then you've got Manuela, and she's an interesting character because they tried to obviously link her up with Alexia because she kind of. Was she an, an inhibitor of the T Veronica? She was compatible with it, one of the one of the rare people that were? No, and that was the issue. She wasn't compatible. Uh, that's why they had to continuously do the transplants. So she could, and I don't, did they ever establish that you can or cannot be compatible with the, the T. Veronica virus? Because even Alexia had to go through a 15-year sleep in order for it to bond to her. So it's not like it's Ouroboros, where you're either compatible or you're dead. And we first meet him, though, he calls out to Manuela that, you know, she has to be patient and wait, is it 12 years or something? 15. 15, yeah. 15. Yeah, that 15 years was important, wasn't there? There was, there was yeah. that period of time. Yeah, and that's where the whole transplant of the organ twist is thrown in there. Okay, you don't have to, you know, go through hibernation for 15 years in order for the virus to adapt to your body. You can kind of have a, a go-around kind of cheat, as it were, uh, if you transplant out organs because... I don't know if they even tried to explain how that works because <laughs> be it doesn't. But, you know, it's some kind of, oh, well, once the virus starts to attack these organs and it starts to mutate, you just swap out those organs for new ones. And that's how the virus adapts to your body or something of that and, nature. And, yeah. And, and this is on the advice of Wesker. Right. Because, Yeah. Um, he's the, he's so, one you trust, isn't it? Again, Javier was pretty desperate at that point because he'd already seen the T-virus be pretty much fail with his wife. They did really try to emphasize the fact he was desperate to save his daughter because his daughter was going through I mean, the same he, thing. He had his own uh, sort of... Well, I'd say that Javier was, he was a dick, but I think <laughs> that ultimately his biggest crime was that he was a very selfish man who only sort of looked out for his own family, you know, his wife, his daughter, himself. So I don't think he was, you know, an evil man, but no, I think he was a very the, selfish man. Yeah, I don't think he was evil, because, I, I mean, there really was that. You know, it wasn't just a straightforward evil, bad, you know, megalomaniac, Wesker type character. You know, this guy had this, there's this human tragedy. You know, his daughter's got cancer. I think that made him a lot more of a rounded figure, and I agree with really John. I, he wasn't just evil. I think there was a lot more going on, and, and as Sindra said, he was absolutely desperate. I think that the most traumatic of events in people's lives can turn good men into bad men, you know, into bad people. Where does he rank on the badass spectrum with the number one badass in the Resident Evil series, obviously being Vincent, with the the most likeable badass being Curtis Miller? Well, out of all of them, I certainly think he's in the most desperate situation. Um, A lot of them, you know, Wesker and Sadler, you know, they go looking for trouble, don't they? Whereas Javier, you know, this awful situation was forced upon him. And, uh, you know, he's acted out of desperation from the situation. So I, I certainly think he comes from the most pressured, you know, environment. It's quite an angry man, I'd say. So, I mean, I mean, I've shown it, but I reckon he was quite angry because he was desperate. And, you know, you, if you if you put someone in that situation, you know, if you, if you, you can take the nicest person in the world, you know, the nicest human being in the world, and you can put them through hardship and, you know, adversity and fuck up their lives and they'll become the meanest son of a bitch you could ever meet you know 
just uh, how we can change like that. Well, I think it was a very... It, sorry, Nick, sorry. No, 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 go on. I was, was, was going to say, I was going to finish up here. I was going to say that I think Yavier was one of the most human antagonists in the yes. series. I still yeah, think yeah. he's pretty evil, though. I'm sure there's a file somewhere that says he opened up his dam and flooded entire villages and wiped out hundreds of people just because they didn't oh, agree that's, with yes, his rule. Yeah, yeah. And did they establish, was he a drug lord before his wife and daughter got sick or after because he was trying to fund getting the T-virus? Because if he was a drug lord before that, then he was he was a he was addicted before you know yeah. before all this started. I think yeah, he was he was, he was a, yeah always a drug lord. And that's what the sacred since his about. since his teens anyway I think. Yeah. His organization's based on fear and loyalty, isn't it? Sort of reminds me of uh, what's that Bond villain in License to Kill? Uh, oh, which oh what which oh San- Sanchez. Oh, Baron you... Sam Baron Samadai. No. no, no, Sanchez, Sanchez yes, right. Sanchez. You know, yeah, the Sanchez, one who yeah. always rules through fear and loyalty. And he was a South American drug lord as well. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Sanchez. The tragedy of his daughter's disease isn't really necessarily the catalyst for a change in character. No, he was always an evil man, but obviously yeah. that just made him even more desperate. Yeah, and, and they resorted to BOWs to try and save them. I was going to talk about Hilda, because she's, she's an enigma, the wife. Mm. Um, I'm always interested in knowing reactions to T-Virus, but for me, she seems to fall in the kind of very unique reaction to T-Virus category, same as um, Al Lester slash Axeman. Is that right? She just has a totally random reaction to it and turns into whatever she turns into. Well, I think it was well, it was speculated that it's the same strain that the the hospital in outbreak used to cure cancer patients. So it was like it was, a, it was like mom. I think I don't think there's any proof. I think that's just speculation. But it's that's like good a, speculation. It's like a milder form of the T virus. But because he kept constantly injecting with her, uh, kept yeah. constantly injecting her, it eventually it overran a system and she mutated. Yeah, because and it goes back to that desperation thing we were just talking about. He injected her with it, like, and she started getting better, but relapsed. And out of sheer desperation, he just like ended up overdosing her on it. And yeah. that's when the mutation, you know, started really happening, and she turned into the the monster. I mean, I mean, he was someone who, let's be honest, was not a scientifically minded individual. So it's like you give, you know, some guy, you know, the T virus samplers of it, who doesn't really know how to use it properly, or doesn't isn't aware of the implications of using it. That's bad, right there. That's that's dangerous. Which is kind of interesting because here you're in a series where most people, when dealing with the T-virus, are all scientific types. They know injecting themselves or or others with the T-virus is going to result in these horrific types of situations. Whereas Javier was given the T-virus with the idea that it is like a a viral therapy. Was he briefed on it? I mean, and that's the question. Was he briefed on it or did this guy just kind of here's the T virus. This should help cure her and never gave him any indication of how much to give her, how often, if it should just be once. And that's where he's like, oh, well, just a little bit helped her so much beforehand. If I continuously inject her with large amounts, that should, you know, cure things right up. Right. And that's kind of an interesting little twist to think about, too. When the T virus is given to normal people, you know, to use in, in in applications like that, this is, you know, it turns out so much worse than if you just give it to random scientists and, you know, because they're aware of what it does and they know they like, okay, let's not do that because that'd be stupid. But these guys who don't know the implications of it, they're not aware of it, they don't know how powerful this stuff is or how dangerous it is. But like, yeah, we'll just put some of there, some here, some there. It's like, whoa, you know, steady on, Yavier, you know. 
And it's far, far scarier uh, to think about what, what happens in those situations. And I think when she didn't revive and mutated into a monster, he became quite untrustworthy of Umbrella. And I think he used the remainder of the T-Virus to start his own bioweapons program. Do you think that, um, you know, when obviously, you know, he injected Hilda and it, it kind of, you know, overdosed and such, that was technically his own fault there. And yet he kind of blamed Umbrella for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like he's trying to avoid blaming himself for his what happened to his wife. By, you know, he's trying to convince himself that it wasn't his fault. Therefore, oh, I'll blame Umbrella. Therefore, I can, you know, sleep a lot better at night, I guess. Oh, oh yeah, and that goes back you know. to that being selfish thing. Hmm. You know, he doesn't want to think of it as his fault that any of this is happening. And that's why, and that's where Wesker is able to come in and swoop in. And be like, oh hey, yeah, they messed up with you know the T virus. I've got this other virus yeah, that yeah. I guarantee will be so much better and will completely cure your daughter. And that's why Javier is all like, okay, you know, I'm he's to that point of desperation and is so untrustworthy of Umbrella. He's like, okay, he jumps on it and how much? I mean, how much are you betting that when Wesker met Javier, he was sort of like, oh yeah, I hate Umbrella too. They're dicks. You know, I used to work for them and stuff, but I hate them just as much as you do. So oh, yeah. I imagine, you know, that sort of played into Javier's, you know, own uh, sure. disdain towards them. It is in the darkness where truth awaits us. A fact very few ever realize before their insignificant lives come to an end. But on that day, in the depths of that jungle, I was to face that darkness. And I was to know that truth. These are all human organs. The missing girls. Manuela! Her organs must be transplanted regularly. What are you talking about? He helps with the pain, keeping the virus at bay. But that's only for the first 15 years. If you had just let me die, none of this would have ever happened. No. I couldn't just watch you die. In nature, the predators who prey on others only grow stronger and thrive. You crazy, selfish old fool! Considering you brought my daughter back, I will grant you death's meaning. remind ourselves what the, the BOWs that are in the game. Because there's an eclectic mix and obviously the ones that Javier bought you've kind of got the uh, Plague Crawlers which are making a very random return considering they're one of the earliest BOWs on record. For Javier mm. to buy them off Umbrella seems very odd. And there's also the Gamma Hunters which again were considered failed BOWs. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Jabberwock S3. Did Wesker provide them? Yeah. Yeah he did. And then the Anubis Oh, um, yes, I forgot about them. The oh, Anubis. those are interesting. 
Oh, those, I liked seeing those. I'm like, what the? I'm like, is that a liquor? No, that is not a liquor. Oh, that's, ooh, what is that thing? When I thought the, like I said, I had the same reaction as you when I first encountered one of those Anubis. I was pretty much like, um, got a resurgent Hartman in full, uh, full Metal Jacket, where he's <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? What is that? <laughs> you know, that was my reaction to see one of those. It's just like, what the hell is that? Yeah, and that wasn't, and unlike the Jabberwock, it was not one of those situations where it was just, you know, slapping the head of something on a liquor's body. This was a completely new creature altogether. And uh, the fact that they, like in the little description, they're like, oh, they removed the organs to create a faster, lighter, more agile creature. First of all, I'm thinking, well, how the hell does that thing live if it's got its organs removed? Second of all, that's still pretty badass. Which one? What, the Anubis? Yeah, the Anubis. Because that's described as the final extension of the Hunter program, if I remember correctly. Well, they were yeah. a replacement for the Hunter program. Yeah. They scrapped the Hunter program because the rival company had created the, the Hunter, Hunter, two. Hunter 2 and the Sweeper through the data Wesker stole at the mansion. The uh, the Jabberwock was pretty creepy looking. Yeah. So to go back, but well, the Hunter Two is therefore considered better than even the Hunter Elite and Deltas, which were the last ones. Uh, well, the Hunter Elite was created with the TG virus, was it? No, was it not? So. Can't remember. But the Hunter Two was like the rival company's yeah more successful version of the MA One Two One, wasn't it? So I think that led Umbrella to scrap the program, and the Anubis was meant to be their successor to the Hunter. Well, I'm guessing so because the Hunter Two, I think the Hunter Two had the unique ability to the drone, and that's something that Umbrella never seemed to develop with the Hunter Elite or the Delta, for that matter. So perhaps you're right. Perhaps that's why they replaced it because they could never match. Because the Sweeper's arguably even more advanced than the Hunter Two, maybe. But they could be right but what was scary about the anubis was just how skeletal it looked mm. you know mm. it, i mean nothing i mean it may it's just me here but in my opinion one of the most scariest things to see is a skeleton you know i think it's in like in the earliest sort of horror movies you know a sort of a human skeleton popping out of a cupboard has always been like a, you know a sort of scary symbol and i think that skeletal creatures skeletons and such as, as a whole what tend to be you know in my opinion at least scary things you have one of these things jumping out at you and it is screeching bloody murder mm. as it does so yeah that's terrifying i like i said I, I did a double take when i saw that i'm like oh god it's a li- oh god it's not a liquor it's something worse oh, well, it's a bit she- like the chimera as well wasn't it that's the, the initial see yeah. that's what biohazard needs more of it needs more enemies that make you go what the hell is that you know these have more like what the hell is that situations you know scenarios yeah they seem to be going on size and perhaps now the bigger it is, the more scary it has to be. Well, Ori Zero told us that that didn't really work very well. It's like, <laughs> oh, look, a giant bat. Oh, look, a giant centipede. That's true. Well, other BAWs that I like, I like a lot of the organic ones that were there. The jumping man-eater, I thought it was quite a, quite a nice... Quite well, it's just a spider, isn't it? Yes, but it's a jumping spider. <laughs> and that makes it cooler. And, Let's face it, oh, spiders yeah. that jump and spiders uh, that fly oh, are yeah, too, you, like, uh, I did like try, this. I, did you know that there are, there's a new breed of species of spider that's been discovered that they don't make webs, they don't build webs, and they, they basically hunt in packs? Oh. No, and I didn't need to know that. Guess what nightmares I'm having tonight. Thank oh, you. Oh, it's <laughs> like, you know, you have your trapdoor spiders, you know, that stuff. You, do, you just don't do that even. They just hunt in packs. And it's how terrified is that? Where are they from, and I need to avoid that place like the plague. I think they're discovered in Buffalo, New York. Leave me alone. That is (laughs) true. 
Spiders don't live up here. We get those little wolf spiders, and even those things are terrifying as all hell. Well, spiders uh, tend to be, you know, solitary creatures. You know, they build webs and whatnot, but uh, there's these uh, society-focused spiders that live and hunt together. So they're the big society spiders. Like yes, like, they're David Cameron the David spiders. Cameron spiders. No. The David Cameron spider, yes. I liked the piranha as well. I thought that was a quite a nice, but I missed an anaconda. I thought that would have been quite a nice thing. I really like the fact that they brought the uh, the ivies back with the, oh, the, yes. ivy, the ivy YX. That was interesting. And the fact that it was based off of like the, uh, oh, what's it, uh, the pitcher plant type of uh yeah all, all, all even the original ivy was based on the pitcher plant i think we've yeah. down on pu as a green pitcher plant right yeah the, just... the, the, the chromosomes in ivxy and it had like the spikes as well that were kind of uh if well, I it's got like it's got like human legs mm. yeah which was pretty creepy it's more triffid like than uh before it's good no no the triffids were no no they're more like the original ivy's triffids do you think yeah, trust me, because triffids were like giant plants. You know, they didn't they didn't have any human features about them. Yeah, that's true. I've seen Day of the Triffids God knows how many times, so I know what I'm talking about. I'm now. thinking of the one that was shown a couple of Christmases ago on BBC. Mm, great film. We're only touching at the moment, really, on um, Operation Javier, but we could just save RE2 and RE Co-Veronica, perhaps for a separate discussion a bit later on, because I want to talk very briefly about the location of Amparo. After playing it again this afternoon, I happen to think that Amparo or Mixcotl, Mixcotl, whatever it is, the village, is arguably one of the better locations in the series. And I think it does the daylight scare factor more than what RE5 did. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And I think it was because, I mean, obviously, the zombie type of situation, that just... Zombies in the day and the night, it doesn't matter. Zombies are zombies. And all these creatures hopping out at you were just... It was terrifying and i don't know just re5 didn't seem to capture the same kind of uh kind of feel with that i mean am i wrong uh no i i, I like the fact that the whole village was flooded and it you know because of javier put the dam down and it felt like a hopeless situation and they go crossing the water to get to the church and the church was the only thing still standing and yeah beautiful kind of scenery in the backgrounds and and i, I just thought it's a really good location really really worked effectively well and and then obviously you then go into like the kind of sewer section, don't you, by the dam, mm-hmm. and the ending sequence especially it was really nice in the kind of like it was dawn or dusk or one of them was, and it was all orange skies. And I, I just think the whole using South America was it was a great was a great idea. One of the parts that I really uh, got kind of like creeped out by, and it was kind of in the um, oh I don't uh, it wasn't in the dam, but it was underground. It was the uh, part where pretty much all of the walls were made of meat. And flesh and whatnot. And it was like, uh, uh, I was, oh, what part was that? It was in the basement of his mansion, I think. Yeah, there you go. I knew it wasn't in the dam. I couldn't remember where, though. I'm surprised that there haven't been more situations used like that where it's like a nest of, he had the nests like in Resident Evil 2, uh, the moth, giant moth like nests and whatnot. And you don't see enough of that kind of situation, like areas that uh, take care of like that kind of, that kind of primordial scare factor just like oh god all the walls are made of blood and just that kind of a situation always kind of creeped me out that was nice i thought very simple very enthusiastic response no no it was i'm i'm thinking intently you're thinking aloud thinking aloud 
I suppose this, this could be a good chance actually to move on to RE2 and Co-Veronica when we talk about the locations in particular because obviously that was one of the key uh, excitement factors if you like of Dark Side Chronicles the fact that we get to go back to the RPD experience all the wonderful locations of RE2 in better high resolution graphics the first I, time I just realised something Nick what John? I think people are going to be pissed when they realise that I've come back on the podcast they're going to think, oh, right, something nice to listen to, you know, I'll relax and chill for a bit and listen to this. And then, oh, God, is that racist cunt is back on here again. <laughs> Johnny, you, you, make the, you make the podcast. Yeah, I bring it down to my level of depravity. <laughs> I, I spend most of this podcast like looking up at everyone else, you know, like, oh, look at you up there, you know, the mole high ground. George, you're keen to talk about the RE2 and Co-Veronica sections. Yeah, well, I... um. So I was just thinking, that was a good point before, by the way, Syndra, I think, made that one of the things I really didn't like about RE5 was the daytime setting. And I would have told you at the time that, you know, you just can't do survival horror or any type of horror film, really, or horror experience in that type of environment. But now they got it absolutely spot on with Operation Jave. So, yeah, sorry, Code from the Corrects and Resident Evil 2. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the fact that they were realised, because obviously everyone's hankering for remakes and we got to see them in, you know, updated graphics. Uh, I think Batman mentioned it probably is one of the best in terms of graphics, you know, games on, on that the Wii has to offer. Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, like the niggles, obviously, the little things that they changed, and why do they need to change it? You know, where you find Marvin in, the, you know, in the main RE2 foyer, rather, you know, in, the, in that little off-room. Code Veronica corrects kind of, again, muddled the, muddled the thing, you know, did Alfred set off the system to awaken Alexia, or was she kind of already going to be awakening? But, uh, I mean, the, the cutscenes were fantastic, particularly mm-hmm. the Code Veronica X ones, I thought. Yeah, I loved them both. Well, their confusion, is, I know you look at them with bated breath, if you like, and you, you take them with a pinch of salt, but what's in the Code Veronica ones, issues with the video from Alexander Ashford and the dates? Yeah, that's just a mistake. No matter which way you look at it, it's it's a mistake. Remind the listeners of the mistake. Um, well, most supplemental material says Alexander was injected in 1982, whereas it fits with the 15-year thing, with it being 1983. Oh, yeah. And I think in the files in Code Veronica, it's dated something like April when they injected him. But this video is filmed in something like, I think it's Christmas Day. And he says the year is 1983, but he was already dead dead by then, a, I think. It's a shame, really. Yeah, it's a shame, really, because it, it was a good video. I'll step in and say that yeah, it was kind of interesting, like you said about uh, Alexander. It, they kind of tried to really throw a, a very an even greater uh, curve on the whole sympathy angle with him. Like... Uh, you know, in the original, if I remember correctly, in the original Code Veronica, you know, you only felt sympathy for him because, oh, hey, his kids experimented on him. You know, even though he was pretty much the bastard who experimented on them first, and uh, he kind of started the whole the whole shebang with, uh, you know, just his kids being kind of the way they were. And now with Dark Side Chronicles, they're like, oh, we're going to throw we're going to make him even more sympathetic by him making him perfectly aware that, oh, his daughter is kind of a, a psychopathic uh, megalomaniac. And he's pleading with the player, please stop her, even though I couldn't. Da, 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 da. And yeah. it's like, did they really need to throw that sympathetic angle on him or should they have just kept him the way he was, where it was like he was getting his just desserts when they turned him into the Nosferatu creature? Do you think? Well, considering that, well, well, considering that his, well, I don't know if there's any truth behind this or not, but uh, apparently Edward Ashford, I believe, you know, his father mm-hmm. was quite a nice guy who wanted to use the virus for, you know, positive applications. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if there's any truth in that. I mean, I don't know where I've read that, but... I remember, I remember reading that, too, that he was the better of the original trio who started Umbrella. He was actually trying to trying to use them for practical, med- yeah, yeah. medical applications. Yeah, so I, I guess that if his dad was like that, then maybe Alexander, you know, was kind of like that, too, you know. So if that was the case, why would, you know, what would inspire him to go experimenting on his own kids with any of the viruses? And... You know, why, if he was such a good guy, why would his kids turn out to be complete monsters? Well, I'd say that, like, he was corrupted. I think that he probably started out as a nice guy. And I think Edward's death, it impacted him a lot. Oh, actually, no, I tell what I think happened, right? I think that Alexander probably was a nice guy. But I think that Spencer corrupted him and then used him to kill Edward. Because don't forget, Alexander was sort of involved in, you know, Edward's uh, mysterious death, so... I didn't remember reading that, but I kind of like your theory because, you know, perhaps Spencer's pressure onto the, you know, the emphasis of the Ashford lineage kind of drove Alexander to experiment more and more and be better than his father was and, you know, kind of go along with Spencer's way of thinking and, and that kind of drove well, him to like said, experiment I mean, on his kids. I try to think of Spencer as like the Emperor from Star Wars. Yeah, I think he's sort of he's not so much a man but more like a, a presence, a force of malevolence that sort of corrupted Alexander and he was this sort of source of corruption that spread out from the core of Umbrella, you know, he was the source of all the evil in the in the games. This one old man and I think he probably corrupted Alexander in that same way and maybe used him to kill off Edward, who was a nice guy. And then, of course, Alexander became a dick himself, you know, experimenting on his children such. You're not too far off there. The Inside of Darkseid Chronicles book sort of hints that Spencer made sure that Edward Ashford died in a lab experiment. And they made this whole big thing that Alexander Ashford wasn't clever enough to carry on with the progenitor virus research, which sort of shifted the balance of power towards Spencer. Mm. And because Alexander wasn't gifted enough, that's why he started the Code Veronica project to create a clone of Veronica, who was born a genius. So he was quite desperate himself, wasn't he? I guess he was sort of like, you know, I'm not a smart man, but maybe I can try and do what I can here to make, you know, I'm not going to be a king, but I'll be the king maker. Exactly, yeah. And that's why he built the Antarctic lab, so he could do it somewhere where Spencer couldn't keep tabs on him. Oh, I like, see, I like that. And that's where the whole, you know, I, and I remember the, just the original game, not even Dark Side Chronicles, the original Code Veronica was so, was emphasizing so much how Alexander was the doubt, was the true downfall of the, uh, of the Ashford lineage, of the Ashford name. And that would be that. So that does sound completely like something Spencer would work upon, would kind of work behind the scenes on playing towards. I was gonna say, is that book the best thing to come out of Dark Side Chronicles? Because oh, it's revealed quite yeah. a lot. Definitely, yeah. But obviously, because Alexander wasn't clever enough, Spencer just left him to it and concentrated on bringing Marcus down for the next ten years. I think Marcus was. I mean, once Edward was out of the picture, I think Spencer knew that you know his only threat then was Marcus. Mm-hmm. Because Marcus was a smart, you know, unlike Alexander, Marcus was a smart man. I mean, he invented the T-virus, for God's sake, so mm-hmm. he knew he was clearly an accomplished uh, uh, virologist. He, he invented a T-virus. Well, the main strain, the beginning strain of it, I'd say. I know. But that's what I liked about Game of Oblivion, is they actually added little extra bits to it that weren't in the original game. Like the Alexander video, and yeah. things like where they see Alfred dressed as Alexia singing on the hill. Just across yeah. the camp. That was quite creepy. And you've got the whole okay. 
the kill house level as well, which isn't in the original game. No, and that I liked. I did yeah, like that. That was, that, cool as, that, was cr- that really gave you the inside, like, kind of nail on the head as to just how crazy Alfred had become. And uh, just how, I mean, they obviously in the original game really made how obsessed he was with Alexia very very prominent but they recreated that very well with dark side chronicles and then they definitely made him a more sympathetic character towards the end where it was actually alexia who killed him because she was all she went even more sociopathic and ended up killing her own twin rather than him dying in her arms in the original with him releasing her you know, that just that drove it home how sociopathic she had become with her her God complex because, oh, well, you couldn't even release me on time. Therefore, you're not any you're no longer any any worth of me, even though you're my twin. You're just a worker ant and I'm going to squash you. It's a shame yeah. really because both the Umbrella Chronicles and Dark Side Chronicles all have these kind of rehashed retellings, if you like, of the original games. And there's good bits in all of them. Like mm-hmm. um, in the Resident Evil Zero one, the, the redesigned Queen Leech was much better than the one that they used in uh, Resident Evil, the original. You know, they both went around together, which was more accurate, perhaps, than, than what actually happened, uh, apart from Resident Evil 3, which was bollocks. You've mentioned what happened in Cobra as well. There's little bits that you'd love to use just to make, you know, to make it a bit more rounded, but you, you can't. You're bound by almost the rules of the community's own canon. Well, I was surprised with how sort of by the book retellings there were. I mean, in the remake one in Umbrella Chronicles, you had the little extra scene where you see Wesker actually inject himself in the lab. Yeah. But other than that, it didn't really add anything new. And it's the same with the files. Most of the files are just transcripts of what you get in the original games when they could have put new files in with new researchers' diaries and, you know, new last testaments from police officers and the RPD. Stuff like that would have been good. And that was like a missed opportunity, in my opinion. It's true. It could, yeah, I suppose. I thought the RE2 one, I didn't think it was particularly well-paced. Especially at the end, where you just kind of fight, you fight an onslaught of Birkin. Yeah, well, the last the last sort of two or three chapters just feels like one big boss battle. It does, it does, and I, I didn't I didn't think it worked that well. And I thought the the kind of police station bit was well managed, but then after that it just kind of went it just zoomed past it, and then it... yeah. Well, the first the first three chapters were really good, walking mm-hmm. around the streets, and there's some nice little extra bits where like the bus explodes and the camera goes all fuzzy, and you know you lose your sound comes all muffled. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think perhaps though with. RE2, perhaps more than Code Veronica X, it's constrained by the fact that if you take the puzzles out of the original RE2, you know, you're not left with a lot, uh, other than the, you know, the exploration through the RPD and then, the, you know, the battle with William as he changes. Whereas I think with perhaps with Code Veronica X, again, take out the puzzles, but you're, you're left with, there's more story to that, there's certainly more, you know, character development. One bit I really liked in Memory of a Lost City was when you're going through the police station and you're in the liquor corridor and you see all that blood on the wall. Mm-hmm. And it's just not there in Resident Evil 2. That no, was really good. Not. And Mr. X is good as well in that. He really does feel like a fucking Terminator in that. They were definitely playing up the nemesis factor with him. Yeah, but obviously it's completely ruined with Leon calling him Trenchy every minute, every minute. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah. I for- and I had forgotten how ba- how many times he had called him that when I played through again last night. I'm like, wow, they they were really driving that home, weren't they? Oh, damn it. Trenchy. (laughs) But another weird thing about the memory of the Lost City was the way they changed Annette. As in, in Resident Evil 2, she 
praises William to death and goes on about how the G-Virus is going to be the next stage in human evolution, whereas in Dark Side Chronicles, she openly admits it's a failure and that she needs to go and kill William straight away. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, yeah. just, that was just a weird personality twist that came out of nowhere, really. Mm-hmm. I thought the voice acting with her was the only poor one in the game, really. It just didn't match the character at all, the strong character, and she had this almost voice just, you know, not dissimilar to Sherry's. Well, maybe that's what they were trying to play on, mother and daughter, I don't know. Yeah. And obviously there was the bastardization of the minor characters as well, like Kendo, Irons, and mm. and Ben Bertolucci, which was a shame. Let's see. Was dead when I got there. Died or shortly after I got there. Died before I got there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how those three came out. And it's the same in Code Veronica, isn't it? Because Rodrigo isn't in it at all. No, Rodrigo's and, not in it. And then obviously everyone made a big deal with Wesker having such a reduced role. You know. Uh. There's no Chris yes. versus Wes- there's no Chris versus Wesker showdown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know. Well, at that point, they probably didn't want to uh... saturate it with Wesker. Right, because they had basically just killed him off in Resident Evil 5, and they knew there was, and they might, well, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't, maybe this wasn't intentional, but they didn't want to, uh, you know give in to the whole fan desire of bring him back, bring him back, da 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 da. I mean, personally, yeah, I was excited to hear hear the like the two lines that he had in the entire or two or three lines that he had in the entire thing, but that's because I love DC Douglas's and you know Well I, I preferred Wesker in Dark Side Chronicles because he was more like a behind the scenes kind of guy. He took well, I, his old role. Yeah. And the fact when you come back to the room where Steve's body is supposed to be. All you see is the knife with, I won this game. And I'm like, ooh, that's a nice touch. They're not really oversaturating us, but they're definitely making it known that, oh, he's here. You're just not going to see him. I love the um, the music in that scene as well, where they're taken off in the plane. Mm -hmm. And you can see, like, Wesker in the fire looking up at Chris, and he's looking down at him. It's like, ooh. That is my favourite cutscene in the entire series. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it is perfect. The direction, the music. And there's no dialogue, but there doesn't need to be any. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. I, I have to agree that was probably one of the most well done, like just little... Even if it was short, I mean, yeah, it was shortened from the original, but it didn't need to be this big, drawn-out, ooh, let's throw in another fight process. That was just, they played that off really well. So, I want to go watch that now on YouTube. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called Old Foe, the cutscene is or something. Yeah. If I remember correctly, when you completed it for the second time, you got a different ending, didn't it? It was an extended ending, wasn't it? Was that right? Was there no. a different ending, depending on what you... I don't believe so. I'm yeah. sure when you did it one time, it's because you, yeah, you have the thoughts of Krauser, if you played as... Did it as Leon, you got the normal one. And I think if you played it as Krauser, you got to hear his thoughts. Oh, you mean the end of Operation Jam? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's that. You got to hear uh, Krauser's internal uh, dialogue uh, rather than Leon's as you're going through the Operation Javier stuff. If after you play the first game through, I, we, I, I thought you meant Wesker. I thought you meant there was something with Wesker and Chris. No, no, sorry, sorry, my fault. But then just going back to that quickly. After that, Manuel is taken away, isn't she, and just looked after by the U.S. government? Yeah, that- but she still needs regular organ implants for the next 15 years. God. Yeah, yeah. He's not kind of Britain to be a bird on the NHS. I keep on hoping to see her, you know, show up as like a special BSAA agent or some kind of shit. But it's like, uh, then I think again, mm, yeah, that's kind of wishing that Rebecca is going to be showing up again or Billy or some other character. And then I think better of it. Like, mm, you know what? No, let her let her stay in obscurity. We'll just we'll just because, you know, God only knows what they're going to do now with Sherry back. And, you know, apparently she's got superhuman power. I don't know anymore. 
everybody's got superhuman powers. Everybody's got a virus, and it's like, oh, God, okay, let's not throw any more characters into that. <laughs> right, I think it's a good time. We've had a MP3 call-in. Oh, yes. Uh, from our regular contributor to the podcast. It's Vito. Okay, okay, let's make something clear here. Darkstar Chronicles is an okay game. Good game, maybe. And it has many good aspects to it outside the gameplay, which I'm going to talk later on. First and foremost, let's talk about the good things about this game. It has very good graphics, which actually rival the graphics from our recently released game on PlayStation 3. Yes, I'm talking about the crap fest that is Operation Raccoon City, which blows my mind that a Wii game released three years ago actually managed to rival its graphics. It's amazing, actually. Another aspect that I actually liked was the soundtrack. On the retellings of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil Code Veronica, they actually use the original tracks used on those respective games. I really don't know if they were the originals, the tracks, or they were remixed a little bit. I guess you can answer that. Another aspect is the voice acting. I actually enjoy the voice acting very much in this game. I cannot believe they made Steve and Alfred Torvald in this game. It blew my mind, actually. It was a very great improvement over their original voice actors. And now, the middle ground, the story. To be completely honest, at first I thought the story was unnecessary. Failure, you may. But after reflecting and hearing your single for podcast, I actually have to agree with you. Dossier Chronicles, Umbrella Chronicles, separate ways made the story of single four more relevant and better. It's still not single five in terms of story, but it's actually not bad after all those games. Now it comes down to the ugly part. The gameplay. Who the fuck thought that having that piece of shit camera was actually a good idea? I know, I know, they tried to make it more horror atmosphere. But holy shit, man. That camera is fucking annoying. I can't beat the game by myself. It's so frustrating. I have to have a friend, a cousin, whatever, playing the game with me to actually make it horrible. Oh, damn it, who, who thought of this? I can't believe they actually sacrificed fun and a smooth gameplay of Umbrella Chronicles for this shit. I don't remember Leon and Claire being drunk in Raccoon City. I don't remember Claire and Steve being drugged in a rock for Island. I don't think Leon and Closer. Oh, god damn, I can't even complete this sentence. Shit, the camera is fucking awful. No, it was the worst decision ever, man. I really. It was, it was awful. Awful, awful, awful. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's shit. It's shit. Ah! And now, I actually have a question for you guys. Obviously, I read this file at Project Umbrella, but now that I actually read it in game, I really want you guys to clarify this for me. There is a file in Operation Javier that details the communication between Wester and Javier. They talk about a umbrella spy or Asian spy, I really don't remember. Was this spy meant to be Ada or is she Ada? I really 
in curious about this because we actually don't have anything on her between Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 4. That's a six-year gap. And thank God she's in damnation because it's actually going to fail the gap between Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 6, which is actually eight years long. So I'm really curious about this, guys, and we'll appreciate if you can clarify for me. Well, I guess I talked too much, so see you later. Brilliant. His rant now is just like listening to Hitler ranting in downfall. <laughs> it's like, eh, Jakarspit. <laughs> I think he was a little harsh on the camera. I think so. I actually like the camera. I think it's quite a good addition. But there we go. I can understand why it pisses someone off, but I, I, I found it really quite good. And Batman, as you mentioned earlier, with the, with the bus explosion, things like that, I thought that really added to it. But What was his point about the spy? I, I'm not familiar with that file. Basically, Javier had a contract with Umbrella to buy BOWs. Yep. It makes mention of a uh, an Asian broker working for Umbrella. But, ah. uh, and the English, in its uh, fantastic translations, in one part of the file, this broker is referred to as a man, and in the other part of the file, this broker is referred to as a woman. Ah. So people have speculated it to be Ada, but it's not. It's just someone who works for Umbrella who happens to be Asian. That's it. It's not Ada. Oh, okay. It's not Ada. There you go, Vito. Consider your question answered by our resident Batman. And for the music, uh, the remix music tracks, the composers from Resident Evil 2 and Code Veronica were brought back to remix their old tracks. Ah, brilliant, because that, that does appear to be a, a, a defining plus point of everyone, is the music. Yeah. Whereas, I think it also, it also helps that Umbrella Chronicles music was so dire at times, with that kind of rock, grime theme that kind of prevailed throughout the entire game, when this actually just went back to its roots, and, you know, gave old music, updated, and it sounded excellent. Oh yeah, I was... Uh... I loved, I wanted to play through several times just uh, Escape from the Lab, from the Memories of the Lost City scenario, just because I loved, loved, that was one of my favorite tracks from Resident Evil 2, because it was so heightened, it was so dire, it was so, you know, you got to get your ass out of there type of... Even though there was no timer, and you knew even though there was, Even yeah. though there was, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, you just thought one's going to, is there a timer running anyway? Let's get the hell out of there, it's good. True, and you knew it was on rails, and you knew it was all kind of, you know, you could only go as fast as, as the game allowed you to, but that didn't take away any part of the fact that you had the self-destruct blaring overhead, and you had this music playing, and it's like, I still want this to go faster! Why is this not going any damn faster? I gotta run! Yeah, I do, I do think RE2 has the best self-destruct music. Right, let's wrap this up, and... What was everyone's general overall impressions and a, and a mark out of 10? We like to do this on the podcast, just to see what everyone score out of 10. Uh, Syndra as the guest, what would you say? I'd say 8 out of 10. I'll give, I'll be generous. Um, I really liked it for what it was. I was happy to spend the money. I don't even I don't even own a Wii. I had to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication. To, yeah, there you go. I bought a game for a system I don't have, which, you know, is not uncanny because I'm also a very big Castlevania fan, and I have several games for that series that I don't actually own the consoles for. But, uh, yeah, I loved playing through it. It took what I liked from Umbrella Chronicles, and it gave me more of that and improved on several of the aspects that I did not like of Umbrella Chronicles. And I love just having a buddy to play with that wasn't some stupid AI-controlled bullshit. The small flaws that I think the game had was outweighed by just the general enjoyment I had just going through the old scenarios and going through RE2 and Code Veronica and 
the new graphics and uh, the new scenario with Operation Javier. I learned more about the characters that I did like. I, you know, got some more history. And honestly, it was, I liked it. And I hope for another Chronicles game down the line if they decide to go with like a uh, Survivor Chronicles or uh, anything of that nature. Okay, so an 8 there from Syndra. Mr. Spencer? I'll give it a very reasonable 7 out of 10. George Trevor? I would give it 8 out of 10. I think that it's so much more than what it just could have been, you know, just a basic on-rails combat-oriented game. Uh, It's so much more than that. We've touched upon the little, you know, extra things that we've had. Then I won this game, Knife. I agree with John that it's a shame there was a missed opportunity with the lack of additional files or files that, you know, drew more upon the story, gave us more insight into what characters were doing. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm more of a survival horror fan than an action fan. So I think it really does show that this game has a lot more depth than just a basic on Rails game. Uh, Batman? Yeah, it was fine for what it was. I'd give it seven. There's not as much replayability as I would have liked. There's too much backtracking in some sections. Like, you'll go through one wing of the police station, then chase Sherry back down the exact same route. You know, why couldn't she have gone through a different area? And why can't we choose multiple routes? You know, it's very, very linear. But other than that... But it is a rail shooter, John. I know, but it would have been nice to get the option to say, right, would you like to go right, would you like to go left, and take different routes around the police station. I I approve of that. I approve. That's, yeah. You know, like you can on House of the Dead and Virtua Cop and all that sort of stuff. Oh, Virtua Cop is great. (laughs) Oh, man, throwback. Why can't we have some correlation with Umbrella Chronicles? Where was Sir Guy in this game? Yeah, they could have been easily inserted him mm. into the... Uh, especially with the with Mr. X coming over. You could have had him in the helicopter or... Exactly, yeah. But at least give it you know, a little, little thing like that. He could have just been. sort of flying overhead and just sort of cuts to him and sort of like, you think I'm reckless, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll give it a seven. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that as well, I think. In fact, throughout the discussion of this podcast, I, I've worked out it's actually more in-depth than I perhaps was going to give it credit for. Can, can I just uh, make an amendment to my score? I gave it a 7. I would have given it a 9 Ooh. if it had Sergei in it. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Sergei does. He was, a, add... he was a great character. I mean, fuck all those people who say, oh, he's a throwaway character or just like an opponent for Wesker. He was a great character. He's your type right? of man, John. What, an insane masochist? <laughs> and just as a final note, the story writer for Darkseid Chronicles is the same guy who's doing Damnation, and he's one of the co-writers of Resident Evil 6 as well, so nice. read read yeah. into that what you will. It's open. And I say that bodes well for the future. Great, and so there, but that concludes our discussion on Darkseid Chronicles. We'll now move on to Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz. Five questions. Three participants. And one topic, it's Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz! So hello and welcome to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Uh, Sindra, this is your uh, first appearance on the quiz. Feeling confident? Nope, not so, at all, but we'll go for it. We'll go for it anyway. Do you know that you know the rules? How we play? Enlighten me. 
Right, clear your desktops. You're allowed notepad open. That's Mr. Spencer's rule. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Google if you're George Trevor. <laughs> I'll, uh, Whoa, I'm joking, George. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> He's taking advantage of the fact that you probably won't remember it five minutes from now. <laughs> oh. Uh, I ask five biohazard-related questions. And also, someone pointed this out to me last time. I think it was you, Batman. There is a um, biohazard quiz book coming out on Amazon.com. Yeah, an unofficial, how well do you know your biohazard? Which I think will have to be a compulsory purchase when it comes up. But yeah, so we have five biohazard questions that me and Newsbot have prepared. I'll ask all five questions. Don't shout out the answers. Just write them down on pen and paper or notepad or whatever you however you feel is appropriate. Go through the five questions and then we'll go back through the answers and see how well everyone's done. So, a quick recap on the scores after a interesting quiz last week. Batman, you're still in the lead with 25 and a half points. In second place, Mr. Spencer climbed up the leaderboard with an impressive five out of five last week. A distortion of the I truth. I don't know how I did that. I don't know how you did that, but you got... Distortion of the truth. You're now on 21 and a half points. Well, I simply possessed my, uh, my proxy. <laughs> Did it that way. And George, you're languishing in last with 17 and a half points. Well, I have also answered all my own questions. You have. You're the only, yeah, you and Batman are the only ones who have actually been in here every time. Sindra, you will join the uh, star in our reasonably priced quiz leaderboard. The current leaderboard is Ridley is on top with four points. Welsh is on three points. Smiley's on three points. The Selfish Gene, Stars Tyrant and Zombie Fred are on one point. And then we also have a Formula One star in our biohazard quiz leaderboard. Newsbot is on five points because he doesn't really count because <laughs> he writes the quiz. He stepped in for Mr. Spencer last week. There's no point asking Newsbot a question because he knows all of them anyway. He writes the series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, may, they may as well hire. Is he, uh, is he co-writing RE6? <laughs> Let's hope so. Perhaps he is. He's under an embargo not to tell us. That's why he had to take off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Got a call I, think, I, think, I think he wants to try and make amends for his um, involvement on the Gaiden project. <laughs> Just especially the meet with Capcom, it's like, ah, uh, don't screw up again, but I'm giving you another chance here. Gaiden was a colossal failure. Perhaps you can redeem yourself. We've already said. <laughs> no, I won't, damn it, because the tofu virus is canon. <laughs> I still maintain I got that question right, that one you took off me about what does tofu stand for. You said it right. Listen back to it. This is episode two or three. You said tyrantized fabric uber soybean. And the answer was tyrantized object. There was no O. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So if everyone can clear their desktops, get your pens and papers at the ready with question number one. In what cafe is one of the jewels stored in Raccoon City? Jewels. Jewels, yes. It's the red jewels. Isn't it? No, this is from Resident Evil 3. Yes. It's a cafe. Okay. That's question number one. So question number two. What is the name of the stun gun defense item from Remake? These are quite hard this week, actually. Can you please repeat that question? I can. What is the name of the stun gun defense item from Resident Evil Remake? Okay, there we go. Question number three. It's a timeline question. What happens today, August the 5th, in 1998? August the 5th. August the 5th, 1998. Yeah, so um, something happened today. In the Biohazard universe. No Googling, please. Notepad that. <laughs> <laughs> question number four. 
According to the Sacred Snakes Crime Syndicate report, who, aside from the government, do the snakes deeply oppose? I'll repeat. According to the Sacred Snakes Crime Syndicate report, aside from the government, who do the snakes deeply oppose? So in that report, there's two people who, who the Sacred Snakes deeply hate. One of them is the government of Amparo, country, and the other is the answer. I expect Mr. Spencer could have a good guess at this and get it right. These are all guesses so far. <laughs> uh, question number five is a Newsbot question. This is from Newsbot. He would have said this if he was here. What are the three main causes of the Raccoon City outbreak? The three? The three main causes. Do we get a point for each one? Uh, no, you get a point if you get all three and half a point oh. for any less. I thought this was quite simple, this one. I hope that's not bad. Right, that concludes the quiz, so join us after this when we'll run through the answers. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you the Zombie Olympics! Welcome back to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. That's the five questions. Let's see how everyone has done. So, question number one is, in what cafe was one of the jewels uh, stored in Raccoon City? What did you put, Batman? Grill 13. Grill 13. Mr. Spencer, what did you put? I had no idea, so I didn't put an answer. George? The correct answer is Grill 13. And Syndra? No idea. No idea. Very good. Uh, points there for Batman and George Trevor. The actual answer in the archives is Cafe 13, but I think you're right. It is, it is Grill 13, so well done. Points there. Question number two was, what is the name of the stun gun defence item from Remake? Syndra? No idea. No idea again. <gasps> uh, yeah, I think. They are hard this week, I thought. Mr Spencer? <laughs> I put Stunner. Stunner. <laughs> stunner! Stone Cold! So, uh, Batman? I don't know, so I'm going to have to say Daffodils. Daffodils. It is an odd name. GT, do you know this one? I don't even think I understand the question. I'm thinking of the little gun that you shoot, that you get, and you can shoot Plant 42 with, that's only got one bullet, that's like the Magnum. I don't don't understand. I don't know, then. Oh, you're thinking of the Derringer pistols that you get from the suicide guy. Yeah. No, No, so I don't know. It's a stun gun. It's like a personal defence. It's what Chris has. Well, they both have it. It's the electric zapper, isn't it? Oh, oh, the, the, oh, instead of the knife. Has the, the knife and he has, oh, I see. It's like the, the battery pack. Yeah. They're called battery packs. Is that your answer, battery pack? Yeah, I didn't think it was, yeah, because I, I was confused the way you asked the question. You said the type of gun, but they're called battery packs, those things. Apparently not. It's actually called catfish. 
What? What? Apparently so. Huh? Oh, you're thinking of the brand name that's on the actual model, isn't it? Yeah, the name. Oh. oh. Would you have known that? Code name or something. Well, that's of stupid. Course. It's like people say Tannoy when they mean public address system. Tannoy is a brand name. Cartridge. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> so the answer I was looking for was catfish. So. No points to anyone there. Question number three was a timeline question. What happens today in the Resident Evil Biohazard mythology on August 5th, 1998? George Trevor. When you say what happens, I mean, there's a report. I'm thinking, the only thing I can think of, you're talking about an event, something happens. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like Raccoon City blew up or something. Um, something happens. If you look at the chronology of evil available on the Project Umbrella website, it will say August 5th, 1998, something happens. You said something about a report. Well, the only thing there's a yeah the mansion report by Nikolai. The mansion incident's reported by Nikolai. It's not an event. It's like a report. He files a report on the mansion incident. Okay, Syndra. I thought it had something to do with the mansion incident too, but I didn't know any specifics. So. Okay. So I knew there was like a whole stretch. There we is. <laughs> that was like my shot in the dark. <laughs> um, Chris leaves for Europe. Batman, what did you put? Uh, George is right. But there's also another one. Some bloke is cutting into the skulls of children on the tyrant plant in Sheena Island. What? That's a survivor? Yeah. How's it, is that right? I know, the timeline. I wrote one. I know you wrote one. It's a bit wrong and out of date, but I still wrote one. Very good, very good. That's points there for Batman and George Trevor. I was, yeah, you're looking for the Nikolai report. And I'm going to give a point to Syndra. Excellent. And question number four, I hope I phrased this okay, was according to the Sacred Snakes Crime Syndicate report, who aside from the government do the snakes deeply oppose? Syndra? Isn't it something having to do with communists? They like don't like communists or something? <laughs> okay. I remember something about communists. I did read that. Batman? Typical American. It's always the communists. Oh, I blame all. the communists. Yeah, yeah I, was gonna, I was going to say communist insurgents, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mr. Spencer? I just put umbrella. Seems legit. Considering their leader hates it. It's logical. And George? I've just put rival left-wing gorillas. Well, it, it was very good. I mean, it's points It's points to Batman, George and Syndra. It is the bloody communists. Ah! Very Still good. Jo- did George mean gorillas as in the animal in the jungle? Yes, <laughs> yes, if you meant animal gorillas. No, I just had this idea of like a, you know, little kind of band of, like mercenaries, but... Yeah, they're yeah. gorilla communists was my answer. I don't blame the communists. If in doubt, blame the... Well done. Very good. Very good. <laughs> question number five was Newsbot's question. What are the three main causes of the Raccoon City outbreak? Batman, what did you put? Remnants from the mansion. Right. Uh, Hunk's botched operation. And leakage from the dead factory. Right. George? Oh, God. Uh, this is the only one I really want to get right, and I'm not going to get it right. But I've got um, the mansion incident in the laboratory, you know, from Remake. Rats spreading it under the streets of Raccoon City right. as the second and the third I would say what John just said but I've forgotten what he said um, uh, the rats the mansion incident daffodils fuck <laughs> oh, I can't am I, I'm going to get no points even if those two are right is that correct no you get half if that's right well what about okay the rats the mansion incident and when Punk tries to retrieve G, or his little group, they're attacked by William, and he, like, steps on vials, doesn't he, of the virus, and that's... I thought that was the rats. Yeah. Is that the same as the rats? Yeah, well, I, I've, yeah. I'm only going to say, well, rats in the mansion, isn't I can't think of a third. 
Okay, Mr. Spencer? Right, well, first of all, like I said, you had, like, the rats transmitting the virus from the smashed cases, T-virus cases, right. into the sewers. Then you had the initial outbreak caused by Marcus in the management training facility and the Arkley Mansion, which, you know, spread through the forest and eventually reached Raccoon City. Right. And then you had the dead factory where, you know, they're processing too much shit, basically, and it was over capacity, and that did not help things, basically. Yeah, so. Okay. And finally, Syndra? Rats, the mansion incident, and communists. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is interesting. I think Batman's definitely got all points. The answers that Newsbot gave to me were the attack on Birkin, so rats, the sewage from the mansion incident, I think may be key here, but I might be very lenient, and the final one is the dead factory. According to Newsbot, it was a purposeful biohazard caused by Birkin. Yeah, it was to uh, deflect attention off him. The dead factory could have been run by communists. (laughs) It could have been. Some of those uh, staff members there could have very, you know, left-wing politics. So. Seriously. Uh, well, that's points to Batman. Half a point for George. Half a point for two answers. Yeah, well, you can't, we're not doing thirds. We'll just get too complicated. <laughs> Mr. Spence, you get a point as well. Nice. And Syndra, you get <laughs> half a point for getting two. That's very good. <laughs> I'll take it. It's the 1960s all over again. <laughs> half a point for two. <laughs> I guess that concludes the quiz. So let's uh, have a quick look on the scores. Batman back on form with four points there, winning the quiz, putting you onto 29 and a half. Nice. Do I get the gold medal tonight then? You do get, yes, gold, gold there. Very good, very good. Gold. In, in silver place, it's George Trevor with three and a half points. Can Mr. Spencer be drugs tested, please? <laughs> <laughs> I've not, had, I've not had drugs. I've been uh, for like four days now. So four days. <laughs> yep. George, that puts you in, into the twenties. Uh, on exactly twenty-one points now. So well done. Sorry, how can I be on twenty-one if I got a half point? Because you were on seventeen and a half before. Okay. Okay. Three and a half. Mr. Spencer, joint bronze. You came joint third with Syndra. So everyone's a winner on my quiz. With bronze. This is my podium. Fuck off. <laughs> no, you share, share. No, I speak horrible lies. I speak horrible lies. Syndra, you finished third. Huh? Bronze with two and a half points. Uh, can I lodge a protest? Yeah, sorry, I was, I was looking at the scores. Look, Syndra, if the Japanese finished... gymnastics team can take silver from us, I'm going to pull that shit here. I'm going to lodge a complaint to the IOC. <laughs> I'll take this up to you know, Sebastian Cole myself. Personally, I don't think I shot enough BOWs or commies to make the bronze, but whatever. Well, well done. You finished with two and a half points. She admits it, so... Do you really want bronze that badly? You can have my bronze. It's okay. You, if you feel that inferior, if you feel that low, I'm going to... Well, by bronze, bronze, do you mean, like, a euphemism for your ass? <laughs> you can have my bronze. Oh, anytime. You, were, you were doing so well. I was. As long as there's it. some protection used with that bronze. Ooh. Wow, that was bad. That was, yeah. that was bad. That was bad. You see what you've done? You brought me down to your level, Mr. Spencer. For fuck's sake. I was doing all right there. You know, by subtle flirting. I thought I won it over at the end, and then I kind of screwed it up. My chances, but oh well. You win some, <laughs> lose some. Do you want to go for a Does drink? This some this an episode of Blind Date. Be careful. I mean, Welsh asked Syndra out online, so he did, did he? <laughs> when did this happen? I don't. First, I've heard of it. Sorry, hey. Syndra. When did this happen? We got to get this up. 
What 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 happened now? What did I Nick, miss? Nick, do do share what do tell her what Welsh directly asked you out, Cinder, if I remember correctly. On the forums. What? Did he? Yeah. I do yes, I remember reading I'm sure I remember reading a post where Welsh effectively did proposition Cinder. I think it was after my um shaking that ass comments. This is the hmm. very first I've heard about it, but I had no idea. That, what, what what did he say exactly? I'll, I'll watch what he's put and then not make the same mistake in my own advances on this uh, beautiful <laughs> young woman here. <laughs> Should oh. we go for a drink sometime? Sandra, you'll be pleased to know you're fourth on the uh, star in our reasonably priced quiz with two and a half, so that's pretty good. I'll take it. And Mr. Spencer, you finished with two points, but that so it puts you on to 23 and a half points. So uh, Batman has pulled away. Sorry, what, Batman's first. Is Mr. Spencer in second? Oh, yeah, and 23 and a half, and then you're on 21, George. I think I'm taking this quiz a bit too seriously. <laughs> you'll never you'll <laughs> never get me, Trevor. I think I'm going to have to start looking for where this post proposition was. What yeah, was I think we should as well. That's interesting. Let's make a new thread. <laughs> Just make a new thread entitled, All right, who are Sindra out of the forums? <laughs> Well, that, as I, that concludes the quiz. Uh, join us next time and we'll have another batch of questions to run through the quizzes again. Very good, very good. That was a good quiz. I thought it was quite difficult. I'm just reading up this, this forum topic now because I want to... <laughs> I'm disturbingly intrigued i think <laughs> i think it's the one um was it the podcast uh look under the thread entitled do you like resident evil do you have breasts <laughs> well those are the next two questions i was going to ask Sindra. so thanks for pitching those on my behalf no 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 right <laughs> whilst you're whilst you're divulging that we can look forward to our next episode <laughs> <laughs> I love how awkward, deliberately awkward I'm making this. It's great. Absolutely. Our next podcast is going to be on Resident Evil Remake. Yes! Yes. yes. An all-time classic. I think I'll be very hard-pushed to find someone that has a bad word to say against Remake. But obviously we've already had the podcast on the original, so it'd be nice to do a bit of a compare and contrast. Um, I think we probably briefly touched upon the... Can I, would I be the only one here that's played that played Remake before they played Resident Evil 1, the original? Oh, the podcast, Fred. That must be it. It is possible. <laughs> Sorry. It is, it is possible, George. Yeah. So that would be quite interesting to see what your personal thoughts were. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, yes, we'll be looking to do that um, soon. We are acutely aware that Biohazard 6 is coming out, and we're trying to cram in as many podcasts as we can. Do we have a guest lined up for the remake episode? Uh, not yet. No, we don't. <laughs> We've got Star's Tyrants lined up to do Resident Evil 5. We should get Syndra back and Welsh at the same podcast. (laughs) And the entire second half of it is asking questions about what this when this happened and. (laughs) Well, it'll just be questions about you know about your physical appearance, what size breasts you have. These will be coming from Welsh, by the way, not me. I'll just be taking notes. (laughs) Suddenly, you're uh, you're very inquisitive as to uh, Welsh's intentions. Well, 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 I am a charming individual, and what kind of man would I be if I wasn't looking out for the best interest? Of, of a woman, you know. Oh, I see how it is. Yeah, how, you know, I, I. That is very classy of you. Well, I've got to look out for people, you know. John, you don't give us all a good name, you know. Male gamers are renowned for being. <gasps> Girl. Well, you, 
Well, you got married. You got married. You made your choice. So you can't. You don't have that freedom anymore to do whatever you want. Instead, you say retarded shit to people and get drunk. You can't do it anymore. You got to be owned by ten. <laughs> In fact, I'm only allowed to do this podcast because the missus away in Amsterdam on work. So exactly. God, ball and chain. She goes to Amsterdam to work. She's going oh. to the Gay Pride Festival. I bet. It is on this weekend. Did you it hear? is on. Yeah. Oh, he asked me to post a picture of my ass. That's what part of it. Whoa, 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 where is this? Where is this? The picture of the ass or the comment about the ass? No, the fucking comment. Because that's just... It's on page two of the podcast. I apologize on behalf of... This is hilarious. It's great. I have to see this here. Like, I don't... Honestly... I say things, but I mean them as a joke. I don't actually. I don't, I think he was serious here. Who was it? Welsh. Okay, here oh, we go. Oh, Welsh. Aww. It seems to be quite an ass. Could you post a picture? Smooth. Very classy that. Right, right. On that note, on this very special Olympic weekend, I bid farewell. It's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, the Batman. <laughs> goodbye from me, the uh, the token female. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye from me, Nosebud. It's goodbye from me, Mr. Spencer. Also, yeah, Sindra, you've got to add me to Skype. annoying annoying as fuck right it's the fact that my name is john right my surname is walton so obviously people at school would fuck always off. Fuck people... off. Your, your surname's not walton it is yeah <laughs> so people at school would always fucking call me john boy so i was just sick of that bullshit but it doesn't help that there's another like a famous dance player called John Walton as well, and the founder of Walmart, John Walton, so one of our souls. And John Walton's nickname, the dance player, is Johnny Boy. Yeah, so why is that brilliant then, Nicholson? Upstairs. <laughs> John, well, you like the best then, or George might. My middle name is Edward, so my initials spell Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I never lived that one down in school. We can be 